Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Setting the Scene. My name is Michael. I'm the host for today's podcast. On the second episode overall and first episode of Setting the Scene's episode series, Money, Management, and Independence, we're joined today by Drs. Kate and Victor Mangona. Today we'll be discussing medicine, marriage, and money. But before we get started, would you like to introduce yourselves to the audience listening in? Sure, thank you so much for having us, Michael. My name is Kate Mangona and I am an academic pediatric radiologist in Dallas, Texas, where I've been practicing for about six, almost seven years now when I moved with my husband. And we have three girls, three little girls, a poodle. And I also help uh, women physicians uh, fight less with their spouses and invest smarter. And that's, uh, that's where I, I do that on my podcast called Medicine, Marriage and Money. I'm uh, Victor Mangona. I'm Kate's husband. I'm a radiation oncologist. I do cancer radiation treatment. Uh, I'm in a large private group uh, in the Dallas area, specialized in treating uh, pediatrics as well as adult CNS, lymphoma, and sarcoma uh, patients. Um, I have a financial uh, live show I do on YouTube and Facebook uh, called uh, 39.6 channel, 39POINT6, which is uh, based on the the previous and expected subsequent uh, new highest tax bracket, uh, really geared for uh, toward high earning uh, physicians. That's great to hear. We're so happy to have you on. And um, you both have been in previous financial uh, kind of savvy experts, you could say, uh, but you decided to start a podcast and share your financial wisdom with other people, other doctors. So they could also reach that goal of financial independence that I'm sure everyone is striving for. So what really motivated you to start not only a podcast, but also a coaching service? Right. So, I mean, I, I began uh, in September of 2020, you know, a few months after COVID had began, just because I started getting overwhelmed and just burnt out with this new COVID life in general. And I was like, how are other people doing this? How are other people maintaining the relationship, staying in love through this really hard time and, and, and continuing on their journey, you know, to financial freedom. And I felt like that is something where my husband and I excelled at is finances and money. And I wanted to get a little bit more about the relationship side out there. And when you start looking at different physician blogs and podcasts, a lot of them were focusing on finances um, or real estate. And I was like, there was nothing for physician relationships. I, I Googled physician relationships and maybe one article, one or two articles came out, uh, particularly this one article from Harvard. And so I, I just saw what, that it was lacking. And I felt like I knew a lot of really strong physician power couples and even more couples who maybe just one spouse was a physician who seemed to do things really well. And instead of just reaching out to them for myself and asking them, hey, how, how do you make your life work? How are you doing this? And be, and you know, being super high achieving in the hospital and at home, how do you do this? And I was like, I'm going to interview these couples and put it out there for all, all physicians to kind of listen and learn. Cause we focus so much on our medical career and learning, which is super important so that we can help our patients. But if we don't help ourselves first and we're not happy at home with our spouse, then how can we be happy at work? And so I think we started talking about people being burnt out at work. I think it's just as important to be talking about at home as well and how to cultivate those really intimate relationships that you have with your family. Absolutely, definitely. So to tag along with that um, regarding your podcast, 
I noticed that one of your episodes, I believe it was number 35 or 36, was titled Frugal Without Being Cheap. And it really was a title that caught my eye. Um, it really catches the balance that I'm sure many aim for. Like you said, financial independence is um, something that not only many people, but also even doctors struggle sometimes with. What do you think is the most key aspect to achieving that sweet spot of balance where you are frugal, but you're not cheap? So, you know, what I always like to ask myself is what, what purchase, what purchases or big, what, are, what is going to bring me joy? You know, what do I want to spend my money on? What, and is it an investment in myself or in my family? Uh, and, you know, if that, if that, that could be experiences, that could be travel, that could be things, you know, I know certain people really love purses and dresses, me included, but I'm not going to go out and buy a whole bunch of things and spend all my paycheck on just that if it's only going to bring me joy for a day or two days or even maybe a month. So I try to ask myself, what's going to bring me joy for the long term and what really matters in my life? And my husband and I do this together. Um, I mean, we, we each have our own individual accounts, which we may get into later. But so that's that's pretty much what I ask myself. And, and then it makes it easier for me to make those decisions about what I'm going to spend my money on. And I don't have to feel, it's not like I'm being cheap, right? I'm not buying everything, but just the, the cheapest of everything. I'm really being intentional and mindful about what I want to spend my money on instead of just grabbing, grabbing, or I finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. I've spent 10 years in training and, and residency and fellowship. And finally I'm going to buy the big house and the big car and all the bags you know, I, I just, because that's not ultimately going to make me happy forever. So that's where I think you can be frugal without being cheap is I can still make a big purchase. I can still go on a luxurious vacation, but I'm not going to need to do it every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You mentioned like, uh, I mean, in, in reality, a lot of doctors are unfortunately not well off financially. Um, they may have high incomes, but uh, the income is is just the the stream of money coming in. That's not their wealth. And um, you know, we we live basically paycheck to paycheck for a very long time. That that becomes normal to us. Um, then you actually start making money, and you have to change gears and say, well, you know, this income is not just a stream for me to live, you know, hand to mouth to. It's actually I have to establish some. Uh, some wealth overall over the over the long haul and you can't do that spending all of your money so you have to change gears and that's a very challenging thing for physicians to do um, so we decided at the very beginning when we both finished training that you know one of the most basic things is we are just not going to live off of a second income you know and there's no reason not to live off of one income and that was one thing that we didn't really uh, that was that was pretty easy to do um, because that one income was more than what we were used yeah, to as far residents. More, yeah. And um, and beyond that, uh, we knew that we could really make some headway by uh, really focusing on, um, I, I prioritize like savings rates, I think is really the most important thing because it doesn't really matter how much you earn and what matters is how much you're keeping out of what you're earning, you know? And so we both have our own discretionary accounts um, so we can spend on certain things we want. Um, 
and then uh, I don't have to see what she spends her money, money on and she, she doesn't see what I spend my money on. But these are small proportions of our total income. Uh, and that, that gives us the, the freedom to you know, still buy things that we feel that we want to for ourselves. Um, but then we can use our other money to really meet, meet our goals. And so uh, we've had a, a very high savings rate throughout um, our experiences finishing training. Um, initially, probably maybe more in the 60, 70% range, and then uh, now closer to the 80 to 90% range. Um, because uh, when I when I became partner, um, income has gone up, but spending hasn't. So uh, we've been able to uh, really, really make a, a ton of headway and really we're you know, if, if we wanted to be financially independent right now, we, we absolutely could be. And we just, I just hit my six year anniversary at work. So um, fortunately, uh, we've been able to uh, accomplish a lot in the first uh, five, six years that um, a lot of physicians, it takes them this many years and longer just to realize, oh, I'm not doing enough for myself financially. And they don't actually see uh, a path to uh, becoming financially independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oftentimes I hear about doctors kind of reaching or an, that reaching that anticipated climax of finishing training and finally being on that, like you said, a more steady and reliable income instead of a secondary income. Um, and once they do, they think that, you know, I'm, I'm financially independent at that point. Now I can uh, enjoy life and, um, and, and spend from there. But it is a game of strategies. In the end, money is still a limited resource, like you mentioned, and um, money still doesn't buy happiness, really. Um, but I know that you've gone through quite a few podcast episodes. That was just one of them that I was pointing out, uh, the one titled Frugal Without Being Cheap. So many that you've probably gone through. Out of those, what are some of the most unique stories that come to mind of physicians that really had successful stories of becoming financially independent? Oh, wait, okay. I have to go back with what you just, with, with, with some of the comments you just made just there. Um, and then you can ask me that question again. But when you say money is a limited resource, that is something that brings up a little, a, a little red flag in my mind, because I prefer to think of money as everywhere and plentiful and something we all can make as much money as we want. And it, just because I make a lot of money doesn't mean that you can't make a lot of money. I think most Americans believe that because the rich are rich, that they have to stay poor. So I think that is not true because there are opportunities out there and there are resources out there. You just have to be resourceful. There's really only one thing that's limited and that's your time. <laughs> that's, that's the only finite resource we really have. Everything yeah. else um, actually is, is limitless. And that mindset is actually more powerful than anything else because, um, you know, when I was even in med school, I, I didn't really know what incomes physicians made. Um, but you look at incomes across different specialties and usually you see things like the median incomes or average incomes, but that's just how it is on, on the average. If you look at the, the range of incomes within each specialty, it can be in incredibly wide. And so um, you don't have to be in a quote unquote high paying specialty to have very high income. And you can be in a quote high paying specialty and have very low income, right? Um, Depending on where you work, what kind of value you create in the world and who's gonna pay you. Yeah, if you, you know? own your practice or if you're an employee. Um, and so, yeah, I, honestly, I really never fathomed making the, the, the income that, that we make. That wasn't really even on my radar initially. Um, but uh, fortunately, we, we, we have it, um, but um, ultimately now the, the, the focus is on trying to make that money work for us 
and buy it more of our own time back, mm -hmm. which is really more important uh, than anything right. else. Yeah, time, I think time is more equals happiness rather than money. However, money, more money can get you more time, right? And money can get you those experiences and those things and the, the freedom to spend that time with your family, go with you want, spend time with who you want to spend time with, right? So there isn't a problem. If you want more money, I always say, go, go find it, go make that more money because you can, you can use it as a tool to, to create your own happiness. Now, once you have the money, it doesn't equal happiness. You have to create the happiness. Yeah. I mean, at, after a certain point, I think this has been studied pretty, pretty extensively, but you know, income levels of you get to around like $70,000 or so, 80,000, maybe up to like around a hundred, you know, a lot of this is going to be varied based on where you live. But um, once you get to a certain point, more, more income really doesn't equate to, to more happiness. Certainly having low income um, can be associated with low happiness because money becomes such a struggle. But after a certain point, you, you've met all of these, you know, Basic these needs. needs. And so beyond that, uh, in a lot of ways, um, you know, having more money really can be more problems. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> earning more money doesn't come without uh, associated other things along with it. It can come more problems, right? So you have to, you have to use your mind to figure out how you're going to strategize having this much money and create your, your, your perfect life. Absolutely. Yeah. That definitely opens a lot of uh, revelations and really shows that it's not really a, a one-dimensional kind of field that we're working on with finances. Mm -hmm. It's definitely multidimensional, not only with how much money you're getting, but also is it really worth that um, extra time? Are you mm -hmm. going to spend in actually something that's going to be valuable later on with happiness or not? Really, I think maybe, like you mentioned, someone might have as much money as they want, but people who do, they might not get more happiness. However, people who have low incomes more so might have low happiness. So I guess it's more of a, a theme of we want what we don't have, I guess, in that mm -hmm. sense. Um, I did want to add on, I, I, you touched on a little uh, about how you can really have different incomes based on if you're private practice, where you're working, what state, things like that. In terms of, you know, private practice, academia, working at an institution, things like that, what have you found to be kind of the most optimal places for those different fields of work between private practice? Is it better to go in kind of a, a busy city like New York City, Dallas, or stay a little more suburban? What are your thoughts on that? Right. I mean, so if I wanted to make uh, as much money as I could being a pediatric radiologist, I would probably not be a pediatric radiologist. You know, I would have pursued like adult, uh, more general or adult uh, and work in some small town where I'm the main radiologist raking in all the money, but that's not what I want. Like, that's not my passion. My passion is pediatric radiology. And I love working at a children's hospital and academics being surrounded by all the like 20 or 25 other of my brilliant colleagues that I can call on for help every single day. Uh, so really I'm super comfortable. I would say comfortable and happy with where I am, but that it doesn't stop there. I don't just cap like, Oh, this is my salary. This is what I bring home. So that's it. We also invest in real estate. You know, it's like, it's more about what, what I do with the money that we do bring home with that paycheck and investing in, in real estate, investing in myself and creating other businesses that, that fulfill me. What would you say, Victor? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
if you look at people right out of training, and if you look at any individual specialty, it doesn't really matter if you're in private practice or private practice or academics. Um, when you're coming right out of training, your your, your mm-hmm. compensation is going to be, to be pretty similar. I mean, it's in general. Um, like in, in, in my specialty, and we're a pretty high paying specialty, um, although finding jobs is, is a current challenge. But uh, when, we, when we were finishing training, you weren't getting much different offers in private practice or academics. There was more variation based on location, like the coasts uh, in general are going to pay, pay less. And then the Midwest um, to, toward the South will often pay more. The coasts in general are, are going to pay substantially less. Um, but it's really what happens over time, like what you're, what, where are you going to be five years out where, where private practice for, versus academia really makes a difference. So if you look at academia and it takes you five years to get promoted um, to the next level of professorship, um, that promotion often is some sort of a percentage increase in your compensation. Okay. And it's often, um, it, it may be significant. It's often not that significant. Um, Whereas if you are in a private practice and you become partner within two years or three years, and now you have ownership in the profits of the business, well, yeah, five years out, you could easily be making two, three uh, times as much as you did starting out, uh, potentially even more. It just really depends on what kind of equity um, structure you have and how profits are in your, in your business. Um, because in, in the academic world in general, you're going to be compensated basically based on what level of professor you are and you know the chair will have uh, an amount of money and then the others will be below that and you know the amount of experience you have often doesn't actually even um correspond as as much toward your compensation but really your your income can be and often relatively controlled um just by that title like assistant professor uh, associate professor full professor and you know if you're working full-time or or less um and there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room in, in academia. You know, there are bonus structures and whatnot. Um, but if you really want to, if you want to double your income, it's really hard to do that outside of uh, doing that in a private practice because that money has to come from somewhere, right? And in, a, in academia, you're not going to, you're not going to double your income. Those, those salaries are, are pretty well established and they may go up a little bit at, over time. They tend not to go up with inflation. Um, they tend to, to stagnate at, at certain amounts. Um, and so ultimately, it really comes down to if you really want to maximize your revenue for your time, uh, you have to you have to own a business, uh, which is not just in medicine, but in anything. You're either working for somebody else making money or you're you're making your own money. Um, and then, yeah, compensation structures are going to be different in, in different parts of the country. And depending what kind of specialty you are, you are in, um, even within a geographic area, there'll be a, a wide range of income based on if you're in a bigger city versus if you're in a smaller town. It, as a general rule, the less desirable location you go to, it's going to be a stronger push to have higher compensation just because A, there can be less competition and B, um, there's, yeah, other people aren't taking up the business. So you have to be in a place where there's enough business. Um, but uh, if you capture it all yourself, there's really an incredible amount of upside. I mean, I, there are uh, stories about other doctors, like I think on Physician on Fire, he's got this anonymous guy who, yeah, he does uh, well over a million dollars a year um, in a relatively small town. I forget what specialties he, specialty he's in. Um, but yeah, if you look at the, the doctors who are making seven figures, they almost always have certain things in common. They own a business and uh, they either are gener- generating a lot of the revenue from 
ancillary income, like not just from patient encounters, but from drug revenue or technical revenue or something, um, or and or they have um, a kind of a monopoly uh, and have a lot of business in an area where uh, they're not fighting for patients. Big cities can be a very hard place to grow a practice. Yeah, it's definitely a give and take uh, between one and the other. Um, like you mentioned, lifestyle, if you're going to be on the coast, that's going to sacrifice in terms of compensation. And in the same way with academia versus private practice, if it's academia, um, you're going to have a controlled salary, but with private practice, you might not be able to do the, the same, it might be a little bumpy. Um, so I wanted to touch back earlier on your, your podcast. Uh, I was wanting to touch back on the stories that you've heard from physicians are there any unique stories that come to mind when you think of physicians that were really exceptionally successful in their journey to becoming financially independent? Let me think here. Oh my gosh. There's been so many. I mean, so many of my friends have just moved mountains in terms of their successes. Uh, I mean, I have several friends who start, have started their own businesses within the last couple of years. And um, that includes uh, coaching businesses, uh, courses for uh, teaching other physicians how to run their own, um, uh, like become landlords, uh, buy short-term rentals. Uh, well, invest in real estate. Yeah, invest in real estate. So many of our friends have started- I, I don't think they want to be landlords. <laughs> I, I don't think people are trying okay, to okay. learn how to be landlords. Okay, so yeah, but well, that's what I meant. I, I was like trying to- trying to remember their names, uh, the names of all the courses that people created, but yes. How to invest in real estate without being a landlord. Yeah. And that, that's, that's how I see a lot of my, the people who I'm surrounding myself is they just build up multiple streams of income outside of their job. And then some of them actually eventually do leave their physician job because the business has called them to be there. And so they can no longer be in both places at once. Now that's not the goal of everyone, right? We still need physicians to practice medicine too. Some of them still do both. Um, and then one physician in particular, she completely downsized. You know, and a lot of people have a really hard time downsizing, right? They get the big house and all the cars, and then they realize they can't afford anymore. And then they're stuck. And, and the, the, when I interviewed the frugal physician, I mean, that's what she did in order to get out of debt. The, the, the podcast you mentioned frugal, but not cheap. She completely downsized. I forget where she moved, but she moved into a smaller house. They changed everything. They started looking at all of their subscriptions, like big ticket items that they didn't necessarily need in their life and were able to pay off their debt after that. Now, but not all physicians do that, right? Like Victor and I, we don't, really necessarily feel like we need to pay off our debt as long as we can get the interest rates down so low that we are our money we're investing in real estate um, and our retirement accounts are, are making more than than the debt we're accruing. So there's different different ways to look at it. I think it just depends on everybody's unique situations and uh, your mental capacity to handle it, whether you're going to be anxious, you know, not be able to sleep. Absolutely. Uh, as one of the last questions to kind of wrap up our episode today, uh, we're wondering about how, you know, you started your, your podcast, you started a few coaching, this coaching service, like we mentioned earlier, um, with starting a side hustle, it's kind of hard. Also, even being in college, it's really hard to find one to start, right? What was your experience like when you first were trying to get it off the ground? What were the bumps along the road? And how do you manage to find the balance between being doctors, being a coach, and just enjoying life as it is? 
Okay. I mean, the, well, I think the key is there, there's really no rush. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like throughout medical school, residency and fellowship, I felt this constant, like, oh, you got to get there. You got to get to the next thing. You got to just get the next thing. And you're always just looking forward right to the end. And it's, it's no, I mean, you're in this present moment. Enjoy every present moment as you move through it. There is no rush. Like, well, like we talked about, once you reach, once you become that attending and you've been studying for 10 or 20 years that, and then like, you ask yourself, is that it? I mean, the same thing with, with building a business, it's not about the end. You know, it, it's not about that light at the end of the tunnel. It's about your entire journey and it's not going to be a smooth ride. You're going to have ups and downs, but it's about enjoying as much as you can during that process and then learning from all your failures. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, there are no failures. There's only learning opportunities. So yeah, there've been times where I've wanted to quit and I still feel like I have a long way to go. I still have a lot of goals. Um, And uh, what would you say, Victor? I mean, he's actually started a lot um, more businesses even during residency. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just always kind of a serial opportunist, I think. but uh, yeah, like uh, I, I, I uh, started doing professional photography in residency um, because I wanted to do stuff outside of work that also compensated me and it was completely outside of medicine. Um, and I mean, I, I am registered with the SEC now and I have uh, a real estate investment fund and um, I've been able to uh, leverage my, my network and uh, my financial education platform um, and have been able to grow um, our, our real estate business beyond just our own investments. Um, I mean, we, we invest heavily with our own money, um, but now we also uh, work with other physicians and help bring them opportunities for, for investing as well. And that's really escalated the, our trajectory. Um, I mean, to the point where, I mean, that, that additional revenue from that alone, I mean, that, that well exceeds what we made as residents. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that the farther we, we go along, um, the easier I found that it is to actually, you know, making money is not, not, the, not the challenge. Um, there are a lot of ways to make money. Um, it's just what's worth trying to do, what's worth, uh, what's, uh, you know, what juice is worth the squeeze at the end of the day, because there's only so much squeeze uh, available. So uh, you're always trading one thing for another. And uh, uh, ultimately having, right. having that diversification of revenue and having income that's more passive allows you to dial back your active income, hopefully over time. And I mean, it's, it's also believing in yourself, believing that you can do it. And because without that, we all knew we could be, go into medicine and become a doctor because we saw all these people around us. Same thing with going into business. If you don't see all these people succeeding. We see people succeeding, but we don't see like the thousands of failures that they've had. So you have to realize that that's only normal, but we've been taught in medical school and residency that getting a B or a C or a D is bad. And that feeling is bad when in entrepreneurship, that's not bad. That's how you, I mean, you just got to keep going. And so many, many people in medicine don't realize that. And I had more to say, but I lost my train of thought there. That's no problem. Well, we are coming to an end with uh, the podcast. Um, before I do forget, do you guys want to plug in your information, your Instagrams and all that to the audience listening in? 
Sure. Yeah. So you can follow me at medicine, marriage, and money. I have an Instagram medicine, marriage, and money. I also have a Facebook group medicine, marriage, and money. You do have to be a physician to join and then listen to my podcast, medicine, marriage, and money. You'll get a lot of great relationship stories, um, relationship goals. Even if you're not in a relationship, it's helpful for, for your family, for your friends and maintaining the most important relationships in your life. And we also talk about how people uh, maintain their finances and, and build up investments together with their spouse or uh, significant others and, and, and sprinkling, you know, the medicine, the med- medical world too. So uh, my uh, YouTube channels, 39.6, 39-P-O-I-N-T-6. Uh, our Facebook group is 39.6 community. That's with a decimal point and um, 39.6 community on Facebook is open to anybody. And I, uh, try to do a, a live show there at least around once a week, sometimes multiple per week, sometimes a little bit less. Um, but I've done about 200 episodes uh, now over there covering all sorts of financial information um, from just regular uh, investing to real estate to retirement accounts to real estate and whatnot. So um, please join and uh, or check it out and uh, good luck with everything you're, you're doing with your yeah. show. Oh, Michael. Okay. I remember what I was going to say when you asked me about the, about entrepreneurship and starting a high side hustle and how you get through it. Um, the one thing I really wanted to add is asking yourself constantly what your why is, right? Because people start things because they have, a, uh, well, the successful people, they start thing, they create businesses because they have a really strong why. And they usually want to help people. I mean, if physicians, we want to help people. We create businesses to help other people to create value in the world. And when you're focused on how much value you're going to create and the results you're going to create for other people, then it's easier to get up from those failures. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that ends our episode. We have just less than a minute. So thank you for both taking time out of your busy schedules to join us. Thank you again to our audience for tuning in to an episode of The Setting the Scene. And be sure to look out and stay up to date on our next podcast episode coming soon. Thank you both. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thanks, Tarun.